John chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 to 16. If you need a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. The ushers are ready to bring you one. And if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, you can certainly take this home with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to get into the Word of God, not just here, but at home. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, we ought, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went out again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to them, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that in, even in the midst of the Christmas season, we could come back to the foundations of the gospel and the truth that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And we look to you and we glorify you today, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And remind us, each and every day, remind us why we celebrate, why we worship. Because you are a loving and mighty and powerful God. You've done great things. And you'll continue to do it. We love you. Lead us today and teach us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning once again.
As always, it's a privilege to be with you guys today, celebrating every time we come together, but being reminded. I find it interesting, here we are in John 19, going through, you know, we've gone through Passover and the arrest and the trial of Jesus, and, um, and here we are, it's Christmas time right? <laughs> it's, uh, is this Easter or Christmas, right? We're, we're celebrating Easter in, at Christmas time, in a sense. But it's, it's the truth of the gospel. And I'm just reminded as I'm studying this, that the reason we celebrate anything is because of Jesus. The reason we celebrate his birth is because of his death and resurrection, the reason we celebrate his death and resurrection is through his birth, right? So we, it's all about Jesus. And so here we are, we, we get to, this is where we happen to land during this Christmas season. And we will, of course, of course, take a break and have a Christmas message, Christmas Eve and the Sunday at, right after Christmas there. And we'll take some time to focus on those things. Uh, but I just, I think it's such an amazing opportunity to be reminded of the reason that we celebrate Jesus is because he's alive. And here we are, thousands of years later, still proclaiming that truth and confident in him, who he is and what he's done. Here we are, John 19, uh, looking at the text today, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Uh, so then, after these things, after uh, he was in Pilate's court, after the unjust, unfair, unofficial trial of Jesus, then brought before Pilate, making things more official, after all of that, this exchange uh, in even which Pilate is finding no fault in him, Pilate is trying to find a way to release Jesus to the Jews and uh, trying to understand why even are they so against Jesus. And so here, the next, the, he offers to them, hey, you have a custom that I can release a prisoner to you. They call for the criminal, Barabbas. That wasn't offered to them. Barabbas wasn't offered to them. Jesus was offered to them, and they called for the, the release of Barabbas instead. And so now here, the next thing we see, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And in this scourging, Pilate hoped that he could satisfy the angry mob. That's what he was hoping here. Maybe he didn't have to put Jesus to death. So let me take him and let me scourge him. Uh, because, as we know, he found no fault in Jesus. And perhaps he also didn't want to release the dangerous criminal, Barabbas, we studied last week, we talked about the fact that Barabbas was a threat to the Roman Empire. I mean, he was, by all accounts, a terrorist. And this is who they wanted to be released instead of Jesus, the Messiah, who claimed to be the Son of God. That was a big problem to them. But Pilate, in his response here, said, well, let me just try to appease the people. And maybe it'll be through scourging. And, and even a scourging, this is a Roman practice and, uh, of a beating that would happen with a whip that's made of cords. And at the end of these cords would be pieces of metal and bone and stone and all these things. That, so when, when the, someone was whipped with this, it would dig into the flesh and it would tear the flesh from their back. 
It was brutal. It was inhumane. But this is a Roman scourging. And so with this whip, its purpose is, first of all, to tear the flesh from someone's back. And in that, it was a punishment to the prisoner. And then the purpose, though, was to get a confession out of the prisoner. Make them suffer so much that they would just confess what their crime was. And so, of course, we know that Jesus had no crime to confess. There was nothing to confess, but that was, that was the purpose of this. But his purpose was trying to appease the religious rulers, trying to appease the angry mob that had called for the crucifixion of Jesus, called for the death of Jesus, and called for the release of Barabbas. Further, it would be to weaken the, the prisoner so that it wouldn't take so long even once they would go to be crucified. And oftentimes, people would even die in the midst of the scourging. Think of the significance of the fact that the purpose is to tear away flesh. The purpose is to weaken the prisoner. The flesh being torn, a challenge even for us as we think of Jesus' flesh being torn off of his body. A challenge for us, a call to put to death the things of the flesh. You see, Jesus endured. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In this, we get to study and see that as the flesh was torn from the back of Jesus, it's a call for us to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, it's a, it's a call to walk in the Spirit, and it's a call to confession. As the purpose would be to bring a confession, to draw out a confession from the prisoner. Jesus had nothing to confess, but for us, it's a call to confession. It's a call to make right the things, the sins that we've committed. And when we think of this, when we're reminded of what Jesus went through for us, it should call us to repentance. It should call us to a place of confessing our sins because he committed no sin and he did that for us. So remember that. Whenever you read through, whenever you study at you know, Good Friday and Easter and whenever we study through and whenever you might read through in your own, be reminded that the flesh being torn away from the back of Jesus is a call to confess your sins. And it's a call to walk according to the Spirit that we might crucify the flesh that we might rid ourselves of the flesh, which is what Paul talks about so much through his epistles and specifically as we read in Galatians, to put to death the things of the flesh, to crucify the flesh, and to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are we not seeing those things specifically played out in the actions and the responses of Jesus here? In this account in the Gospel of John, as he was before the Sanhedrin, as he was before Pilate, and he was beaten, yet he fulfilled the fruit of the Spirit and calls us to walk according to the Spirit. A scourging was so brutal, but Jesus endured. It was so bad that people would often pass out from the pain. They would go crazy. Literally, people would go mad from the excruciating pain. And then, as I said before, oftentimes people would not make it through it altogether. They would die. We're reminded as well in the midst of this that it was to weaken the prisoner. And as Jesus took this on, yet he endured the suffering. Yes, he was weakened, but not to the point of death. And we can remember that when we are weak, he is strong because Jesus endured such suffering. Verse 2, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. A crown of thorns and a purple robe. This was a straight up mocking of Jesus as king. As Jesus said he was king of the Jews, as they even presented Jesus to Pilate, to the Romans as this so-called, in their mind, so-called king of the Jews, now the soldiers are mocking Jesus as the king. In, in that the fact that there was a crown, a crown is for kings, of course, a robe is for royalty, and the color purple is the color of royalty. This was all a a humiliating, mocking worship of a so-called king to these soldiers. And remember, they hated the Jews, right? The, The Roman soldiers absolutely hated the Jews. And so to be the king of the Jews meant nothing to them. So they were mocking even in that sense of calling him king of the Jews. And on top of that, they're mocking him as king on certain terms, this crown of thorns. Now, these thorns, uh, we've been, I've been to Israel several times, and these thorns is not what we see in the, the pinelands over here in New Jersey or, you know, just in the woods as you're walking through. You get stuck on your pants. You're like, oh, no, get off of me, these thorns. I mean, these are serious thorns, big, strong thorns that they made a crown and thrust into the head of Jesus. They didn't just place They didn't just set it upon him to crown him. They forced these into his head to then bloody the head and the face then of Jesus, along with the scourging that he had faced. This was a crown, yes, but it was a crown of torture. It was a robe, a purple robe, but it was a robe of ridicule. Verse 3, then they said, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Further, hailing him as king of the Jews, mocking Jesus further. 
and mocking the Jews at the same time. Things have escalated very quickly here from Pilate saying, I find no fault in him, not long before, to now Jesus being scourged, ridiculed, in every way, beaten now, as they beat him with their hands. This abuse and humiliation was extreme. Matthew, in his gospel, tells us even more of the humiliation as Jesus was stripped of his clothes, given a reed as a scepter, a, a reed, it's a stick, it's, a, it's not a glorifying scepter. As a king would have a scepter that would be this representation of power, they gave him a reed. The soldiers even bowed down, as Matthew says, they bowed down and mocked Jesus in a mocking way, and and they even spit upon him. The lowest of low that anyone could be treated is the way that Jesus is being treated in such an inhumane manner. And then verse 4, And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. He says it again. I find no fault in him. Behold, I bring him to you. This is another attempt to release Jesus because he's recognized as an innocent man. Verse 5, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Pilate is presenting Jesus, beaten, scourged, humiliated, hoping that this would satisfy the religious rulers, the angry mob of people, hoping that even this would have solicited pity upon Jesus, that they would have seen him and looked, at, looked upon him as even Pilate presents Jesus saying, behold him, look upon him, pay attention, look at what I've already done to this man. At this point, unrecognizable entirely, beaten, bruised, bloodied, stripped down to nothing with this robe and the thorns on his head, presented to them and Pilate saying, Look at what has already happened. Is this not enough? He says, behold, the man is to say, look upon his suffering. Look upon the innocent man. John, perhaps even as he's writing this, is reminded of the statement of John the Baptist in John chapter 1. When he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now Pilate, this wicked man, being used as a tool in the hand of God and speaking even a truth to say, behold his suffering. That's the statement here. Behold the man, 
Look upon the man. Look upon his suffering. Already this far, look upon his suffering. However, this was not enough still to satisfy the angry mob. And more importantly, was not enough still to satisfy salvation. To fulfill salvation and to satisfy the wrath of God. See, that's the more important part. Right? Pilate is, is in this interaction between the Jews and Jesus. And we, we talked about last week how it, it was kind of all over the place. And this attempt at unity got really chaotic along the way. And Pilate keeps going back and forth, back to Jesus. What's going on here? Back to the Jews. What's going on here? And, and trying to figure it all out. And can't figure it out. And he couldn't, you know, he couldn't satisfy with this beating presenting Jesus to the angry mob, to the religious rulers. He could not satisfy them, but it's more important that the work of salvation could not be satisfied in just this beating. And we, we want it that way sometimes. We want to stop there. Couldn't that have been enough? And when we face even persecution or we face difficulty in life, we think, okay, that's quite enough. When we have just little discomforts, and we're like, that's quite enough, thank you. But behold the man. Look upon his suffering. It is worse than anyone could have imagined already. But it did not fulfill the work of salvation. And it did not satisfy the wrath of God. That's what this all falls under is the authority of God himself. And we've talked about that now for the last few weeks, that God is in complete control, that he has a perfect plan for redemption, and this would not fulfill it. If, the, if this was the plan, it would have been fulfilled, but it wasn't the plan. Jesus said he was going to die. Has he died yet? No. So it needed to be fulfilled. I've, I've been so reminded of the things that Jesus says that are promises when Jesus says it, it's an absolute, right? And so we take these things as promises. And are we so quick to forget the promises of God? Are we so quick to forget that Jesus said he was going to die on the cross, but yet they wanted this to be enough. Pilate wanted this to be enough. And even those who would have watched, right? We know John was watching from a distance. We know Peter was watching from a distance. Last week we talked about that, right? And, and we know there was others that were watching. Would, at this point they would have thought, isn't this enough? But have they forgotten that Jesus promised that he's going? He said it's going to happen. He's going to die. He said he was going to die a Roman death of crucifixion. It hasn't happened yet. Further, right, when after Jesus dies on the cross, would, it, would they have forgotten the promise that he said he will raise again in three days? So easy to forget the promises of God. Jesus said he would ascend to heaven. It happened. And now here we are today. Are we so quick to forget the promise that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven? And that he will come again for his bride? 
Are we so quick to forget and look at the world and say, everything's a mess. We got big trouble. There's no trouble for Jesus. Are we so quick to forget his promises? But this was not enough to satisfy. Pilate, the crowd, it's all falling in line with the perfect plan of God. The perfect plan for salvation, for redemption. And Pilate tried to make the beating and scourging and mocking of Jesus relevant and sufficient. Do we not do this on on our terms today? We want to make certain things relevant and sufficient for salvation. I mean, there are so many different messages going out in the church today that, that are attempting so much to be relevant and sufficient. But it's not. There's nothing sufficient aside from the gospel. There's nothing sufficient or relevant aside from the cross. The cross was enough. The cross was sufficient for our salvation. Not the beating and scourging. And that, that should break our hearts. That tells you the wages of sin. The wages of sin is not beating. The wages of sin is not just an unfair trial. The wages of sin, Romans tells us, is death. So this would not satisfy. Only the cross is relevant. Only the gospel is sufficient for salvation. But the mob cries out, crucify him. We don't know exactly, you know, if the whole mob, we we know that it was the chief priests, right? And the, the Pharisees, the religious rulers that were constantly stirring the mob of people. The crowds were there and everybody's not clearly not thinking for themselves, right? I mean, we, we talked about it last week as as uh, Pilate said, you have a custom, I can release someone to you. He's thinking Jesus, they're saying Barabbas. That came at the recommendation of the religious rulers, the chief priests and the Pharisees. And further now, in the midst of this crowd, it's likely that the chief priests and the Pharisees continued to stir up the crowd to say, crucify him, call it, say it. They're stirring people up. Call for Barabbas. Call for his crucifixion. And so now that stirs everybody up, people are not thinking for themselves because of the heavy hand of the religious rulers. People are living in fear. When people are living under oppression and fear, they do not think clearly for themselves. But they call for his crucifixion representing pure rejection and hatred and not holding back at this point, making very clear, crucify him. That's the next step. This is not enough. This is not sufficient. He must be crucified. And Pilate then says to them, you take him and do it. You crucify him. I find no fault in him. This is the third time we see Pilate saying, I find no fault in him. Clearly, Pilate was facing an internal struggle here and not not being able to put Jesus to death. He kept trying to pass the buck. He kept trying to pass it back to the Jews even. He says, you do it. I find no fault. But then they go on. They say, well, we have a law. 
They answered in verse 7, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. This law is found in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. It says this, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. So that's their law. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. And they stop there. They don't go into the whole detail of it that they're actually, that it's supposed to be a stoning that takes place. They like to twist the law as we've talked about before. They like to fit things to their own benefit. And they present that to Pilate to say, look, the law, we have a law. And the law says that the blasphemer should be put to death. Their claim here is that Jesus is a blasphemer. Because he calls himself the son of God, which translates to him being equal with God. As we've studied before through the gospel of John, Jesus is claiming time and time again his deity. And he's claiming to be equal with God. And he claims to be the son of God, which is a statement of that. And so now to the the religious rulers, to the Jewish rulers, that was blasphemy against the name of the Lord. Not because he claimed to be king, but because he claimed to be the son of God. They, They put out there he claims to be king of the Jews, like we talked about last week, to try to pique the interest of Pilate. Right To get the Romans to turn against him, this Roman Empire, to feel threatened by Jesus. So we call him king, and that's a problem, right? That's, that should be a problem presented to the Roman Empire. So now for them, they're saying it's not because he calls himself king of the Jews. It's because he claims to be the son of God. That's blasphemy on our account. And we know constantly they're twisting the words of Jesus, not proclaiming truth, and twisting the truth. But they make clear here their claim against Jesus. And here's what's interesting in verse 8. They continue, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. An interesting response here. After They've claimed he says he's the king of the Jews, and now he, they, they say he claims to be the son of God. He goes to Jesus in fear. Pilate was, it says, more fearful, which indicates that he already had a certain fear to some extent. What it was, we don't exactly know, but there was a certain fear. There was a little bit of a recognition here. We've, we've talked about that already. We've talked about it last week. There was a little bit of a recognition that this prisoner, Jesus, was different than anyone he had ever encountered. And so now he goes back to Jesus. It says that he was all the more afraid. The translation there is that he was exceedingly Afraid. Why? Because of the claim to be the Son of God. And now, Pilate, in his mind, the wheels are turning. He's already made up his mind to think that Jesus is different than anybody I've ever encountered. And now, if this is true, that he's the Son of God, then I've got a big problem. 
right? So he goes and he responds in this great fear. It's amazing to think. Pilate, this man of power on worldly terms, goes to Jesus who had just been beaten, scourged. He's bloody. He's bruised. He's torn to pieces with the crown of thorns. He is weakened because that was the purpose of the scourging, right? He's, it, we, he, it doesn't say that he passed out, but we know that many times that would happen, right? People would be drawn to madness and pass out from the excruciating pain. And now Pilate goes to that man who's looking like a piece of meat and as weak as could be. He goes to that man in fear. If that's not a recognition of deity, then what is? Because he knew. He knew what Jesus had even said. And he even asks him again, presenting again, wait, where did you say you're from? Because what did Jesus already say? I am not, my kingdom is not of this world. Oh, no. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world, and now the Jews are saying that he claims to be the son of God, and Pilate's thinking, oh, no. If his kingdom's not of this world, and he is, he's claiming to be the son of God, could it be true, and I am in big trouble? But there's a problem here. He fears man more than he fears God. He goes to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus already told him, I am, my kingdom is not of this world. He is not of this world. And Jesus already told Pilate, therefore he had no answer here. He doesn't answer Pilate and even say, I told you before, I am not of this world. I told you that I am from above. I have been sent by the Father. In a sense, his silence is telling Pilate, you already know the answer. In a sense, Pilate is asking a rhetorical question, and the fear is the indication that he already does know the answer. But he's not truly a God-fearing man. He's not a man full of faith and belief. Pilate wanted to know what made Jesus so different, but he already knew. Pilate wanted to know why he himself was so intimidated and, and fearful right now. Because it's the fear of God. It's the recognition of deity. And then Pilate continues in wondering, why, why is this happening this way? Verse 10, right? Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? What are you saying here? Are you not speaking to me? Why are you not defending yourself? If you're the son of God and your kingdom is not of this world, then just speak clearly. Defend yourself to me. Are you not speaking to me? I'm the one who holds your fate in my hands. I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you. When in fact, he doesn't have any of that power at all. Why won't you defend yourself? At this point, all, all prisoners would defend themselves. All sorts of pleas and cries would be coming out of 
the prisoner at this point after what he had been through. Many times, not truth, right? A prisoner who's being beaten, they're claiming innocence, but they're not innocent. But here Jesus is silent. Pilate, Pilate was impressed by himself, right? I mean, I have the power. You're not speaking to me? I have the power. He was impressed by himself, and he was wondering why Jesus wasn't impressed by him which probably brought him more fear because Jesus wasn't impressed. But remember that this is fulfilling scripture. This is fulfilling the perfect plan of God. Isaiah 53 tells us, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So Jesus is silent. Remember this, humility wins. I've said it many times before. I will continue to say it because I have to remind myself of it. Humility wins. Remember that when we think we're being treated unfairly. Remember that when we're in the midst of an argument with our spouse. Humility wins. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was innocent, yet he was silent. Pilate surprised by this. But clearly, Pilate didn't have the power that he thought. You see, his power was really only to harm Jesus. He claims to have the power to release Jesus, but in fact, it's very clear that he doesn't. He doesn't have that power because he is actually powerless against the angry mob. And he was powerless against the perfect authority of God. He couldn't release Jesus. His fear of man was greater than his fear of God. And Pilate, who supposedly had power, couldn't make the hard decision to go against the religious rulers and to go against the crowd that was calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. Matthew, in his gospel, actually tells us that Pilate then washed his hands. He says, I wash my hands of this. Because he was so afraid, he wanted his hands to be clean of the murder of Jesus. But yet Jesus answers in verse 11, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, Jesus makes very clear to him, you, have no, you don't have the power you think you have, Pilate. You have no power. Ultimately, you are powerless to the authority of God. And as Jesus is claiming his equality with God to be the son of God, he's saying to Pilate, you have no power over me. 
And at the same time, he's telling him, you don't even have power over the masses who are calling for the crucifixion. Your power is from above. And anything that only what is ordained by God is what you have the power to do. No one has power except that which is granted by God. And therefore, then he, he calls out the Jews to then have the greater sin. He said, Pilate, you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're just falling in line. But the greater sin are those who have rejected Jesus. Pilate is clearly in the midst of an internal struggle here. Recognizing the deity having fear, the fear of God, but yet not enough conviction. Not the faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and doing something about it. But it's all to fulfill the work of salvation. And Jesus identifies the Jews as the ones who reject him. In verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, uh, you, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Jesus was, by Pilate's terms, to be released. It says that he sought to release him. His intent, his, his purpose now, he purposed to release him. As much as the Jews previously had been plotting to kill Jesus, now Pilate is seeking to and attempting to release Jesus. And it's very interesting that Jesus just challenged Pilate's power and authority. You would think that if somebody before a ruler such as Pilate would challenge his authority, that he would get even more indignant and then be like, that's it. Take him to be crucified. It's over. I've heard enough. But no, instead, he is seeking to release Jesus. Proving further the innocence that's so clear and proving further the authority that Pilate doesn't possess. This is panic mode for Pilate. He noticed something very different about Jesus, but he lacked the conviction. He lacked the faith. He lacked the belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And we've talked about this before, but if we lack conviction then where is our faith? Like Pilate, I mean, he had things. He had wheels turning. He, had, he was trying to understand what's going on. And he clearly knew the innocence of Jesus, but he lacked the conviction and the faith. So where are we at? Where do we stand Where is our conviction? Where do we stand in our faith when it comes to Jesus? But the people call then further. If you let him go, then you're no friend of Caesar. 
And again, they call him this man. We've talked about before. This is a derogatory title for Jesus. This man. If you let this man go, claiming further, as Jesus claims to be the son of God, they're saying absolutely not. He's just a criminal. If you let this man go, then you're no friend of Caesar. Now we're seeing even more clearly in Pilate, the response to this is showing us that he had a greater fear for man than he did for God. He was seeking further the approval of man than the approval of God. He was seeking here the approval of Caesar. Caesar's the ruler of the empire, right? I mean, this is the, the he's on top. And Pilate is an underling. Pilate is just another one of the, the regional rulers here. He's a, a commander of, of military troops, and, and he has authority, but he doesn't have the Caesar authority. And so everybody, of course, if you are under Caesar's authority, then you want to be buddies with Caesar. And so now, but the Jews know this. They know that he, all he would care about is pleasing Caesar. So they call him out, and they know where they're going to get him. Man, if you put, if you let him go, this man, this criminal, this man who claims to be the king, and that's a threat to Caesar, then you're no friend of Caesar. Caesar would not approve. And people will do this, right? They're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go above you, go over your head to get what I want, right? You're going you're gonna to send an email and you're going to CC the boss when you send it to, to that other person that you need to confront, right? So the boss knows. I mean, this has happened, right? Years ago, we were, we were dealing with something. We were trying to get a response out of somebody. Um, we were renting a space and we actually couldn't pay rent. They weren't allowing, like they, they wouldn't invoice, invoice us. We're like, do we look at this as just a gift and a blessing, or do we do the right thing? And we're trying to get them, would you please invoice us? Please invoice us. Please give us an answer to these things. And we're, we're renting a space to meet with the church down in Tom's River, right? And we couldn't get an answer out of the guy. So we copied the superintendent of the school that we were trying to rent. We got a response in a minute. The guy's like, oh, yeah, here's all the information you need, and here's the invoice you're looking for. Like, aha. So that's how you get people, right? But this is no different when it comes to Pilate and Caesar. They're like, hey, we're going to CC Caesar on the email. Your boss is going to know. And you're no friend of Caesar if you release this king of the Jews. That would be the threat to Caesar's throne, to Caesar's crown. They're challenging Pilate's influence because he wanted to be noticed by Caesar. He wanted to have influence with Caesar. Is it not the same? Everybody's looking for influence. We have people who are called influencers today. What does this mean? What is, why, why is there a title called influencer Aren't we all to just influence the people around us? Aren't we called to be making disciples? So let's be influencers of the gospel here. But people are threatened most when their influence is threatened. When their livelihood is threatened. As Pilate would have feared for his job, for his position, for his authority. 
And so then Pilate goes to a place of elevating himself above Jesus. The judgment seat would have been a place, the cement or this, this area that it would be an elevated type of seat, a throne, so to speak. So now Pilate is puffing out his chest and he's putting himself in the elevated place, recognizing he has no authority over Jesus, but he's gonna do his best to put himself there in the judgment seat went to this place to sentence Jesus. It's interesting since Jesus is the only one worthy to sit upon the judgment seat. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all. You know what that means? Pilate. It's actually facing judgment before Christ right now. And he thought it was the other way around. We shall all stand before that judgment seat. It's actually Pilate who's standing before Jesus. Not Jesus standing before Pilate. Verse 14, we continue. Now it was the, pre uh, the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. Now this raises some question of, of the chronology here, but uh, we know John doesn't write chronologically. So uh, it could simply make sense that this exchange happened at an earlier time, and John's referring back to it, even as you would imagine, somebody's writing in their journal, and they're telling a story, and they're like, oh yeah, and this happened too, and oh yeah, and this happened too. And, um, but the, the reality, the truth of the matter is that he says, here is your king. Uh, that's, that's the important part of this note here, that Pilate presents the king of the Jews back to the Jews, and in that he's giving in, he's turning Jesus over to them to be surrendered to their plans for Jesus, which was crucifixion. And even at the same time, it's a last plea in the presentation of the king of the Jews. But he's saying, here, he's, it's yours. What you asked for, he gave in. And they cried out. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. That is a ridiculous claim. We have no king but Caesar. They fought against, in, in their heart and mind, they were constantly fighting against the oppression of Caesar, of the Roman Empire. And so now they make this claim, it is absolutely absurd to say we have no king but Caesar. Pilate presenting to them again, and they repeatedly shout, away with him, take him, and crucify him. And at the same time, they're embracing Caesar, pledging their allegiance to the oppressor. The rejection of Jesus Christ is going to bring people 
to pledging their allegiance to the oppressor. We're going to see this for all of history, rejecting Jesus. And who is the oppressor? It is the enemy. It is the devil, the anti-Christ. Now, I've been asked the question, people are like, hey, if I get the COVID vaccine, am I getting the mark of the beast? No. That's not what this is about, right? Because getting the mark of the beast is pledging allegiance to the Antichrist. You will knowingly make that decision. But that's what's happening here. This is a foreshadowing even of rejecting Christ and embracing the oppression, embracing the enemy. That's what they're doing. And further, even beyond, and we talked about it last week, that Barabbas even was a representation of the Antichrist. And what did they do? They embraced Barabbas. They embraced, so now think of how crazy this is that they embrace the oppressor of Caesar and then they also embrace the enemy of Caesar, Barabbas, the greatest threat to, to, to Caesar right now of the criminals. And they're claiming Jesus is a threat to Caesar. He's not. And they're embracing Barabbas while they're also embracing the throne of Caesar. It makes no sense whatsoever. This is what the world looks like. It makes no sense whatsoever. Trying to embrace the criminal who's against the throne while trying to embrace the throne while rejecting the one who came to bring salvation? What is happening? It looks familiar, doesn't it? It's the same story throughout all of history. This is what happens when you reject Jesus. They rejected Christ and they embraced madness is what they did. After Jesus had been scourged and, and it's a, it, that scourging was something that would oftentimes cause madness in someone to literally go crazy and now who's crazy? As Jesus opened not his mouth, he responded in grace and humility. Who's crazy? Verse 16, lastly, they, then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. You know, we can often act like Pilate, lacking actual strength and conviction within ourselves. Attempting to please man or desiring to please man more than pleasing God. Fearing man more than we fear God. You see, this supposed powerful man was completely powerless at the authority of God. And so are we. We think that we have power. We think we have authority over our situations, our little world, our little kingdom. But it's Jesus who is crowned. King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you and glorify you. We look to you today. We pray that you lead us in your ways and draw us closer to you. Help us to see you. Help our eyes to be opened to the truth. And today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, before we get into communion today, which is always a blessing and incredible opportunity of fellowship with Jesus and his suffering, before we do that, I want to give you an invitation and let you know that Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for your sins. The suffering that he faced, the suffering that we studied and looked at today, he did it to carry the weight of your sin, of my sin, the sin of the entire world. And in that, he says, I want a relationship with you. I did this because I love you. And he desires fellowship with us. As God has desired fellowship with man from the very beginning. In the garden, God and man had perfect fellowship. Man broke the fellowship, and then God was still seeking fellowship. But man was hiding, and man has been covering themselves ever since. Like Adam and Eve. Covering our sin, hiding from God. But Jesus came to make a way that we would have perfect fellowship once again. It's sin that separates us. It's Christ that brings us near. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, then you are separated from God. So enter in. Ask him into your life. Enter into this relationship. And you could say these words simply. They're just simple words. But confessing Jesus as Lord of your life. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe in you I believe that you rose from the dead I believe that you're coming again I put my trust in you would you come into my life and be my Lord it's in Jesus name Amen